speak something, say something. Test, test, test. Okay. Okay, good, good. Uh, uh, good, good morning. Uh, I know it's it's evening for you, but good morning from my from my part of the world. Uh, I want to ask: Do you pronounce your last name Ta uh, Ta Arlev? Ta Arlev. Ta Arlev. There's an R inside. Ta Arlev doesn't really matter. Okay. Ta Arlev. Ta Arlev. Okay. Thank you very much. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Um, the way I like to start these things is I, I first would just give you the, the kind of pitch of the conversation, which is the point of this conversation is for me and anyone who may listen to learn from the insight of an experienced artist and to relish in the curiosity and celebration of a fascinating person who artists tend to be. And as we discussed beforehand, if I ever say anything, uh, if you need me to speak slower or rephrase yes. anything. First yes, first of all, it's much better if you speak slower. The slower, okay. the better. Okay, I will and do my best. I okay. apologize for for my English mm -hmm. to begin with. Yes. Especially for my accent. No, it's, it's, sometimes, so, no, I mean it. So if you don't understand me, just say repeat. Okay, I will do. Whatever. What do you mean in different words? Or yeah. Whatever? Will do. I, I find that every time I speak with someone who has English as a second language, and they'll they'll always apologize about their English, but it's always leaps and bounds um, more competent English than I think I'm ever expecting. Every time someone says like, "Be prepared, I speak poor English," they always speak perfectly fine English. So, let's check it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So. Unless you have anything you would like to say immediately, I can start volleying questions to you. No, you you can start. Sure. Okay. So the the first question I always like to ask is, can you tell me about your mother and father? Okay. Well, that's like a shrink. <laughs> okay. Both my parents are artists, and they're mm. very well known in Israel. Okay. My dad is, I think, Israel's top lyricist. Oh. He, he passed away last two years ago, actually. And my mom is like, she's a poet and a writer and also, and a children's books writer. And mm. she's also very well known. Uh, so I grew up in a family of, uh, where art was the, you know, bread and butter. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, I think they would... Uh, this was the thing was expected from you to do. I, I think it was impossible for me to be an accountant or a lawyer. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. This was the only thing one could see that is important is becoming an artist. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's quite that's quite reverse to so many other people's quite experience. Reverse, quite yeah. Reverse, yeah. Uh, so when you say your father is one of Israel's most celebrated lyricists, you mean that he wrote the lyrics to famous songs? Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. And I, I assume he, does, does he, is a different last name? For example, if I want to look him up no, later. No, same, same name, same name. Same last name. I look forward to, to looking that up. Um, I, I wonder, can you tell me anything about um, their, oh, my apologies. I just turn off my phone. Yeah. Oh, sure. Can you can you tell me a bit about their experience, their generation growing up in Israel? Um, I mean, well, they were born up in Israel, so mm -hmm. 
they were really Israeli, their language was fluent, which is which is quite rare in my generation because many parents came from different countries mm-hmm. after Holocaust. Also, mm-hmm. the Holocaust is a little my grandmother's family was in the Holocaust, so they were a bit young for that. Mm. They were both growing up in kibbutz, mm-hmm. which is a yes. completely different social background. Mm. Uh, and the, I think in the kibbutz, the, the, their parents were trying to build something really new. Uh, Art-wise, it's very strange because people came from Europe with a, a lot of background in music, classical music, and the literature, and they tried to delete it and make something new. I cannot tell you a, a lot about uh, music, but painting was really something. It, you know, when we had Arte Povre, we really had Arte Povre because there was a whole generation that wasn't exposed to, to classical art. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so that that was their background. Then, when they w- were young, they moved out of the kibbutz to a city. I still had a grandmother in the kibbutz. Mm. So, I, I obviously I don't have a good idea of exactly how a kibbutz functions. In my head, it seems like it, it's very maybe labor intensive or utilitarian, right? Isn't it? Isn't it kind of like a small? No, it it's is not? very. It's very relaxed in a way because. Nobody, like, nobody is really ambitious. <laughs> I, I, I don't know now. I, I only, you, you're not supposed to be outstanding. You're oh, okay. only supposed to do your duty. So I remember when I was a kid, I used to come to my grandmother for quite a long period, at, at summer vacation to the kibbutz. And at four o'clock, everybody just dropped their tools. And at 12 o'clock, they would go to the eating room, to the dining room to eat. Mm-hmm. And then they would, they, it was about labor, but not very intensive. It was very mm-hmm. relaxed with meadow, meadows and flowers and the swimming pool. And everybody was kind of, uh, as opposed to the city, that everybody was were working all the time. Mm-hmm. People, it, as a child, it didn't feel like that. It felt different. Are kibbutzes in a part uh, like government subsidies? Like how do how do these? No, people... no, 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 no. Kibbutz. Uh, everything in Israel is a bit subsidized by the mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. but it it is a um, it is kind of a, a, in a way the closest thing you can imagine is a hippie commune. Mm-hmm. Uh, Except that it wasn't a hippie. Nobody mm-hmm. was uh, stoned or, you know, everybody <laughs> was working in a yes. way. But, but the, the ideas were a bit the same. Uh, women mm-hmm. and men, I, I'm speaking beginning of the 20th century, women and men were supposed to be similar, the, the same rights. Um, sex was a bit free. Not when I was a child, the generation before. Mm. Um, people didn't marry hmm. in a way. They, they, they were in couples, but all the, the social structure, they, as if all social structure was a bit loose. Um, 
and they, they were trying to build, you know, to grow kids in the countryside. They were trying to be farmers, but nobody had any education or, or family background. All came from Jewish families in Europe, you know, everybody, nobody had a farm, no. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a bit a hybrid thing. It was it was strange. Uh, but I remember in the 60s, I was like four years old and my, there, there was no TV at my grandmother's room and she heard about Woodstock. Mm. You know, and she was so excited about it. She was quite old already, mm-hmm. but I think it, it gave her memories of herself being young, coming at 16 to Israel to build a new thing. Uh, it was a nice, interesting experiment. You, you, what you're describing is is interesting to my ear, only because I, I mean, can, can you talk anything about how this kibbutz culture, how it relates to Judaism? Do, do these folks consider themselves? Um, do, do these folks when they when they work on this project? I mean, clearly this is a big commitment. A lot of people are transplanting. They're living in this really different way, and they're trying to bootstrap a new type of community. Do they see themselves as Israelis? Do they see themselves as ethnic Jews? Do they see themselves as cultural religious Jews? Only because when you describe it, it doesn't seem to connect oh, no. to my First idea of. All- most of the kibbutzim, most of the, the kibbutz uh, mm-hmm. places had no synagogues. Okay. They weren't Jewish. They were um, atheists, but they did uh, celebrate Jewish holidays, mm-hmm. but in a very specific uh, way, in a very Israeli way, uh, not at all connected. They tried to build a new thing. They were definitely, they were Jewish, but they weren't religious. Okay. Not at all. They weren't kosher. Nothing. Even the opposite of it. They yeah. tried to build something which is not the, the European Jew. You know, the European image of the Jew was supposed to be deleted in the kibbutz. Mm. Although, you know, the background of the people was, you know, it was uh, jumping around. You could see it. You know, they, they grew up in, many of them grew up in religious families. So, you could tell a little bit of, about it, but but on the surface it was new. It was sunny. It was a uh, you know uh, uh, very fresh. Interesting. Okay, so I mean, so a lot of these folks are um, kind of expat um, Europeans. They're they're ethnically Jewish, but they're kind of like Jewish counterculturalists that are trying to invent their own uh, secular, yes. you know, secular version of, of kind of yes. again. Yeah. And they did study the Bible. Like my father really knew well the Bible, but they didn't study it in the ordinary way of by only reading, but they they, they were hiking it. They were going to the places, they were telling the stories. I think mm. nobody could tell the, the stories better than my father. Mm. But it always was connected to places. Hmm. And, and they knew all the plants and they knew nature. It was a... And, and the kids were growing not at their parents' home. They were growing in a, a kid's nursery or not, not exactly a nursery because since they were born... 
they were sleeping together, the kids, mm-hmm. until they were grown-ups. Now it's not. Nowadays it stopped. But when my parents were kids, they, they would come and visit their parents afternoon, only mm. in the afternoon. Huh, very interesting. Um, so w- one question and then I'll, I'll continue. Did, so, but you, where were you born and raised as a, as I a young child? I was born in a kibbutz, but okay. my parents left when I was a year old, so I had okay. no memories. Okay. Um, so did, when your parents were living on the kibbutz, did, were they already in rehearsal of their creative endeavor of, of they, lyricism and poetry and? Yes, yes. My father actually was working in Tel Aviv in a newspaper since he went to the army. My grandfather was a painter mm. and, um, uh, well, I forgot the word, a, a director. And okay. a director. So he was quite a weirdo in the kibbutz. Uh, both, I'm, I'm like a fourth generation artist. I'm telling you, it's, it's like a bizarre thing, but um, so they knew they not. They couldn't survive. Artists couldn't really survive in a kibbutz. It was it. They were supposed to go to the city. Mm-hmm. And so, so can you tell me a little bit? I, I guess I have two questions. One: How how did your parents meet? And they met at the university. They okay. recognized. They both had the same white socks coming from the kibbutz. Oh. So they recognized the socks. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um and so 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 then then, then i get and you don't have to dwell on it too much if, if you don't want to but how did your how did once they left the kibbutz what was life like how did they again i mean w- one thing that's particularly fascinating think, again is you're saying that your father is a, a somewhat recognizable maybe character in um israeli art culture maybe your mother same thing a, a lyricist a poet what happens when they leave the kibbutz how, how did they start these careers that make them somewhat recognizable uh, oh it's a nice story my mom found a poem written by my dad in the in his pocket in the laundry okay and she told him send it to whatever, who was the musician that wrote. And he said, I'm not good enough. Mm. So she asked him, are you better than this one? Are you better than that one? And he said, of course, I'm better and better than this one. So she said, okay, so send it. And this was his first song. Actually, his first song, the the composer that he sent was called Nahum Man. Nahum Man was working both in Israel and in London. He was recording in London because we didn't have in Israel recording uh, the industry board, I guess. Yeah, okay. And there was a person working in the studio who was recording in London that took my father's words and the music by Nahum Man and translated it and he and wrote this person who was working at the studio wrote his first song to, to to different people, which I don't remember, to a different band. And this person was David Bowie. It was his first song. Hmm. So he took my father's words and the home Heyman music, and he wrote to a couple, which I don't remember his, the name. Hmm. But they, they came to the city, you know, they started working at what they did. My father was also an editor. At a, a book a publication. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, is there any sort of common theme of the lyrics that your father would write? Well, did he write love songs or? And uh, yes, love songs, but mild love songs and mm. the songs about Israel, all the. Like you hear him, even now you hear him, if you open the radio, you hear him at least once every hour. Wow. Very interesting. I look I definitely look forward to, to looking him up. And then I guess a similar question for your mother. How did her how did her career in poetry kind of happen after the kibbutz? And she just writes books. I think she wrote well, like 200 books. Oh wow. Yeah, she's still writing, still writing. Wow. Um, so I guess so now. To, to to focus on your uh, first interaction with kind of creativity as a young child, like you said, your family, um, they made it, or at least your impression growing up is that there were no options, but some sort of creative pursuit growing up. Did, did you always, were you always drawn to uh, visual arts or with your parents being a bit more linguistic? I was always painting. I was painting from, I think before I was speaking, I was painting and drawing. Mm -hmm. And also doing, you know, uh, things with my hand, which are not painting, like uh, small sculpture, dolls, anything would go. I would, I, I was a maker also, not just mm. a painter as a mm. kid. Mm. Um, does the education in Israel, is there a lot of like, uh, did, did you go through a lot of art-centric education or was it just a hobbyist is, you know, outside I, I, of... I'm not a very good person with uh, the system. So I didn't really study, not at school. I, I studied a little. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm an autodidact. So I didn't, I'm teaching at the academy, but I never studied at the academy. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I, I cannot tell you about the system. I, I, mm -hmm. I've never really tested it. Mm. So at what age did you um, really commit to being a painter? I, I know you said you're painting forever, but did like did, even it, before you had memories? Uh -huh. It's complicated because I think I was painting all through my youth until I was 20. And then I had kids when I was really young, like mm -hmm. 21 or something. Mm -hmm. And then I tried not to paint. I said, I'm going to, to do something else which makes money, you know, I decided I must earn money. And then I illustrated children's books and I tried to do many things that go, you know, do sculptures and do dolls and do many things. I always kind of painted, but I was trying not to. And then I realized I had no choice because uh, I was going on doing it and I didn't earn a lot of money doing the other stuff maybe if I would become rich from illustrations mm. I would go on doing it but uh, also I remember I won one of the, the the museum the Israel museum as a prize for illustrations and I won it for one of the books and I remember myself standing in the situation where I get you know with the head of the museum and I remember getting this prize and I wasn't excited at all. Mm. So I said, that's not my place because I, for much lesser thing, I would be much more excited if it was about painting. Mm -hmm. 
So when you start illustrating children's books, is this after your mother has experienced writing children's books? Did Was she able to help you make that first connection or did you pioneer that? No, I think she helped me making Help this yeah. first connection. Uh, well, it's not, you know, it's not something that hard to get. It's it's very hard work, not a lot of money. Okay. Um. So did you notice any difference in your um, practice of painting before and after children did having your children affect what you were at all interested in as far as your subject matter or anything about your painting practice uh, well i had four kids mm -hmm. so i was raising kids for kids for 30 years so mm -hmm. i was you know and i still am um, it's a difficult question because when you when i was raising the kids uh, I was working all the time. I was working, but I felt as if it kind of uh, holds me back. But now I think it it, it has an intrinsic value in it. Uh, I think to experience femininity, which is the thing I'm working on. I mean, mm. many of my paintings deal with femininity, with the feminine body, with... Uh, the area around the, the the body of a woman, whatever kind of, if she's older, if she's, mm -hmm. I think you cannot really, maybe you can do it without having kids, but having kids puts you in the place to understand it a bit deeper, especially mm -hmm. when you're very much into it. So I think the end, it really is an important thing in my career. Mm. No, I mean, it, that makes uh, a lot, a lot of sense. I mean, uh, to be an artist who focuses or kind of, again, yeah, focuses or um, concentrates or meditates or philosophizes on these um, these feminine ideas or feminine visuals, um, I, I suppose that being a mother and going through that experience must be the most uh, singular, um, the most singular definitive quality of femininity. You know, it, it, I guess that, it, it, like, like you also said, it, now, it, like, I have now an exhibition in the Tel Aviv Museum, and the the main thing of the exhibition is is the feminine body. The, mm -hmm. the, I walk a lot around the cellulite and the material the body is made of, how time works on the body, how the sun works on the body, all mm -hmm. the marks that time and the, the, the I don't know, this time lives on the body. Mm -hmm. And part of it, I, I was doing an activity with, uh, when the angel is, uh, an activity with all the women. And then, I realized that uh, in nativity scenes, the in nativity scenes until the 20th century, there are no marks of of uh, of delivery or women in labor or anything of this kind. So part of the exhibition is uh, is is dealing with women in labor and especially with asking the question of 
Why isn't there? In, in European art, since the medieval times, mm-hmm. there are no women in labor, or hardly any. I don't yeah. know if there are yeah. hardly any women in labor. So, so in my exhibition, part of the exhibition is dealing with that. And I think it's very exciting as a woman to, to deal with this subject. Mm. That's really, really interesting. I, I had a, a a small dinner party last night, and one of the guests was a friend of mine who had a, a child maybe one year ago and is now about halfway through a second pregnancy. And so the conversation revolved around um giving birth in this quite a bit. And I mean, it, it is it is interesting. it's it's one of these, I think, um conversationally, but particularly visual taboos. Uh, in a way, exactly. it's, um, exactly. you know, it, it's it's so strange because, again, it is the single most um, it's the single most important thing about life. It, you know, the word life almost springs from this act, uh, obviously, and it's it's the thing that connects all of us. And it's it's if there's any if there's any earthly sacrament that exists, it is it is giving birth to children. But simultaneously, because it's so carnal and because it's so violent per se, you know, it's it's very visually taboo. People don't really talk about it. People don't really see it. I think very much at all. I can only think of a few times in maybe film or something like only, that. Only that I've, I've in European it. cultures, since mm. in medieval painting there are a lot of painting of women in labor. Ah, in interesting. African art, in South American art, it's like the the main topic. Interesting. I don't but know. I don't. In, I can. In I Roman art, in Egyptian art, but in European art hmm. from the medieval times to the twentieth century, there hmm. is almost none. And the, and you said it right because visual was, people write about women having babies. They wrote no women used to have babies at home, so it was people could hear them everybody were you know it, it wasn't a hidden thing and everybody around us is is born and many people have babies it's yeah. not something really rare mm-hmm. but still it's it's like a, a the thing that you do not you don't want to see i don't know if it's connected for a, most of the heart of the art being made by men Hmm. But it is a possibility. I, I'm not sure. I'm not hmm. sure that. But well, I'm I'm certainly interested. Can, I mean, you, you've obviously thought about this more than most people ever, probably. I mean, can you can you say any more about that? What, what is it that you think about this particular demo in this particular timeline? Why is it that again, kind of before a certain date, it's there in other parts of the world, it's there, but it's not in European visuals from this time to contemporary? I, actually, I have no idea. Mm. I think our culture is is very, it's very strong feminine power. Mm. Having babies is like the the it's it's a very strong thing, mm. uh, and I think it moved to the the, the realm of disgusting. You know, mm-hmm. it, it kind of if you you don't really want to see it. Yes, know? as a kid, I. W- we were talking about the kibbutz. So I used to come to my grandma for a week or two weeks. My, my mother and father would go to London or whatever. And we were staying at summer vacations with uh, my grandma. It was really nice summers, you know, a swimming pool. And my dad had a friend there that worked 
Uh, with the cow, what's the name of the the cows? Uh, where, where you grow cows? Um, like a cattle ranch or yeah, something like that. So he and I was so excited about a, a cow having a calf. Mm -hmm. So he would to come knock on the door at four o'clock in the morning, or you know, very strange hours, and he used to take me to see it. I would help him. And I, I remember myself, it was so exciting. You know, mm. it's like a miracle, mm -hmm. all this thing. Uh, it, and it didn't look disgusting at all. Uh, mm -hmm. Even now, I have these visions of what I've seen. You know, the cow is having like this, it, the, 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 yeah, what's the name? Uh, crowning or like passing no, through the birth canal? The, the thing that uh, um, is around the, the baby cow, the calf. A uh, placenta? Um, yeah, the placenta. And it's blue. Mm -hmm. And I remember it. And it, it was so exciting and not at all disgusting. Mm -hmm. I think the disgusting image becomes afterwards when you grow older and people say, uh, but my paintings do not deal with this. I don't have babies in my painting. Mm -hmm. It's only with the labor and with really, it's about asking the question and giving the strength of the situation. And what I did, I did nativity sets with labor mm -hmm. in order to put back the nativity, the, the birth into the nativity, because the nativity is a story about a woman having a baby. So it is really strange not to show nothing no trace of the of the, mm. of the process yeah for sure that's very interesting you've you said a few things that have made me think of a few things uh, one is, is you know you, you talk about how um how exciting and kind of non-grotesque seeing the the birth of a calf and and, and when you said that it made me think you know it, it's kind of a i think a cruel fact that the birth of a human I think is is actually more difficult than other animals. You know, other animals seem to give birth much more casually in a way. And I, I've heard things before about the, the human head being almost yeah, verging on un unconducive to the human body. And so, you know, again, I, I don't know how complicated it is for other animals to give birth, but it is this kind of cruel irony that that for women to give birth to people, it seems to be much more difficult than than any other animal, uh, you, you know, producing. But I, I use that word animal also just because I think that the human psyche, we we operate with a certain type of uh, of a lot of glamour and a lot of illusion, and we don't like to think of ourselves as crude earthly animals. And maybe birth and the visualizations of birth just sh shred that, and we see, it, you know, in that moment how yeah, maybe you know. I, I, I really have no idea. The only thing I can tell you. Is that I work with live models all the time, male mm -hmm. and mainly mm -hmm. female, but also male. My taboos are very wide. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I live in the space of naked people of all kinds of naked people. I, I'm not really mm -hmm. a, it doesn't it feels completely natural to me. And when I was painting the the delivery, the, the nativity scenes, I felt that I'm doing, I, I'm a bit vulgar. I remember asking my partner, did I cross the lines? Is it too much? Is, mm -hmm. It's all the time. It was very exciting to me, but still it was also very 
I, I, I was afraid of doing it. And, and, mm. and I'm not, like, as I told you, it was surprising for me because I can do, you know, fat women, thin women, older women, it's all around me and nothing feels a taboo for me. Mm -hmm. Except for this subject. Except um, for this. You also, you know, you're, you're mentioning, you know, the, the nativity. When you say that, do you mean, when I hear, I'm not sure if we're talking about the exact same thing, but when I hear nativity, it only ever means like the birth of Jesus. Is that what yes. you mean? Yes, yes. It, now, I, was, I, I am planning, I don't know how familiar you are with my work, which is, it's, it's a bit strange, a Jewish woman from the Middle East doing nativity and denunciations, but I have this thing that I'm really attracted to these topics. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, as a kid, when you grow in Israel, the art you see is the art that was uh, evolving in here, which is mostly abstract and uh, conceptual and the statues we have in the streets are, you know, uh, very abstract. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, you once you start being exposed to European art, you start becoming really jealous, and you say, you know, like Meg Ryan said in When Harry Met Sally, I want, mm -hmm. I want to have what she's having. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's that's what you feel. You say, why, why in London they have all these wonderful things, and we have these three squares, you know, mm -hmm. on the on the center of the city, where you have all these kind of bizarre things that you, as a kid especially, you don't understand it. Mm. Uh, so I think I was really attracted, and, and it is, you know, European art, it sparks from Christian art. It, it's, mm -hmm. You cannot really, the Renaissance and the early Renaissance, and definitely the medieval art, it's all about religion. And I, so I think this was maybe my attraction to it. And it, it's not a religious attraction, but I think also... As an artist, uh, when I ask you what are your um, emotions or mm. emotional, uh, you would say I'm jealous, I love, I hate, and nobody nowadays talks about religious feelings. Mm. And I always look at those artists from the early, especially from the early Renaissance, like Frangelico, and even even. And they had these topics of working for people who had the religious feelings. So mm -hmm. I'm not a religious person. My audience is definitely not religious. But still, you know, I get jealous with mm -hmm. those. So, so I play with it. I hint. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um to hear, I, I definitely know what you mean. I'm not sure if you've, you've glanced at my Instagram, but I, I was raised Catholic and there is a type of, you know, you, you're, I'm sure it's, it might be similar for you as well, but you know, you grow up in nested in this canon of culture and of visual artifacts and of story 
And it's very old, you know, it's it's 2000, it's 3000 years old, so to speak. And you get this little glimpse of, um, again, phenomenon that seemed completely uh, extinct in a way. There, there's certain like, for again, like you were talking about, you know, Titian or something. And when you see the kind of um, the illustration of religious uh you know i don't know fervor or religious epiphany or you know a great religious you know beautiful images etc cetera, etc cetera. you know it is very moving but i wonder if the things necessary to inspire that type of art exist anymore or or is it completely gone you know what i mean like I'm i think to... it's completely gone it's completely yeah, yeah, it, 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 i think it's extinct still, as well but still we can uh, miss it in a mm. way and not I, I i'm not speaking as a as a religious not intellectually not emotionally but as a painter yeah. being able to work with this material i i, I assume was incredible mm -hmm. incredible this mm -hmm. kind of, of so you know I, the Gawan said that uh, in all times people used to paint, uh, could paint uh, Susanna and the elders, and nowadays the only thing you, one can paint is a woman in the bastard. Hmm. So in a way, it's it's this kind of of. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting, and I mean, like I, I, I've scrolled through your Instagram. When I, when I do these interviews, I always purposefully try not to absorb too much because I want to explore and discover while we talk. So I've not really looked too deeply, other than I've, I've followed your Instagram before. But um, it's fascinating to, to hear this too. And again, like there's, I, I don't have too much of it published to my own Instagram, but it, it's, it sounds like you and I were kind of gravitating a little bit about similar ideas and kind of took two different paths or, or maybe it has to do with with my you know being raised catholic or something like that but i i was interested in religious images of women that exist in in the catholic canon and um there's a type of uh there's a type of meekness and there's a type of grace and there's a lot of coverage etc although you know all that femininity reigns through and, it, and it's fascinating to see the way you paint you have you have some paintings that remind me of that as well but it's also fascinating how again like you know you paint um uh, women uh you know a lot of nude women and, and this and that and it's it's interesting also just because because the way you paint too, there's a complete, there's there's like a strip of glamour to the way you paint and the way you observe women. Um, you know, it's very very raw and very very earthly. You know, I think a lot of the times it, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of when you take a photo with your iPhone. The iPhone you know, attempts to see reality and then it applies all of these um, assumptions to to glamorize things and to make things look a little brighter and cleaner and smoother than they truly are. And I feel like the way you observe and the way you render uh, women in particular is is in the opposite direction. You know, yes, I, yes. I feel, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, really raw. It's really, really honest. Um, but it, it's fascinating to hear that this is in part. That's kind why of... I, I like put I, I like to put women in all the situations, mm -hmm. like in all the scenes, in in very well, like the, the enunciation. But one of my paintings from the, the my previous exhibition at the Atelier of Museum of Modern Art was about the zero point of gender, which dealt with the portraits and nudes that you cannot really differentiate or, or tell if they were women or men. 
Hmm. And one of them was an enunciation that you, that was in this, you know, that was in the middle. You couldn't tell if the, if Mary was a male or female or the angel was hmm. a male or female. And strangely enough, this painting, uh, they borrowed it for an exhibition. It had a moon in the background. And a curator from the Louvre came to my studio. I was then in Jerusalem and asked if he can borrow this painting. And they said, yes. And there was an exhibition at the Grand Palais of uh, the Louvre and the Museum of Modern Art in Paris made a joint exhibition about uh, 50 years for men landing on the moon or something like that. Mm -hmm. And this painting of this, this my strange enunciation, which was called not this light, the other light was exhibited in a room full. There were like a hundred artists, four women, and the other one were the others were male, all dead but me. All dead. Like mm -hmm. there was Manet and the Dali and all kinds of uh, mainly French uh, famous artists. Uh, so it ended up there, which was a bit strange, you know, such a modern uh, enunciation in this in this place. Uh, but I try to put the modern body and the strong body, I think, because many of the, the, the body language of women still is very limited. Like there the are uh, um, postures which we are not using. It's not that are forbidden. I don't think nobody ever is forbidding us as women. But we just, you know, we imitate our mothers and our mothers imitated our grandmothers. And mm. so, and like, even now, when I call a model and I tell her, go on, lie on the sofa, she's doing this posture uh, like the, the uh, Titian, oh, no, just a minute. Oh, no, not a problem. No, I thought I closed it, just a minute. Not very technical. <laughs> okay, now it's done. Uh, you remember the Urbino Venus of Titian, the Giorgione <laughs> yes. Sleeping Venus, uh, yeah. like David's uh, Madame de la Camille. Uh, many of the women, like, you know, this posture with the mm -hmm. head, very uncomfortable, by the way. I tried it mm. with models, very uncomfortable. It, you need three more vertebras in order for it to be <laughs> And still, women, models, new models, you tell them, lie, lie on the sofa, and they do this. Mm -hmm. you know? And this is like considered very sexy, maybe, very feminine. So I try to get out of this vocabulary and build a new vocabulary, which is more comfortable, which is more, you know, more down to earth with real women. Uh, that, that's, that is very, um, very funny. I, I'm trying to think when, when you mentioned the, the uncomfortableness and the unnaturalness of it, um, uh, uh, Jean August Dominique Ingres. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name totally, but he. Yeah, has, yeah. Um, uh, I always, I always, uh, you know, I'm not really, really a French speaker, but I think you call it Ingres. 
Okay, well, I, I can't even pr pretend to try to to do that, but uh, but but you know he has that very famous um, that famous painting of, of of in kind of an Oriental fashion of a woman lounging in that kind of Venus pose, and she very noticeably has an unnatural length to her body. You know, like yes, he literally he literally did add the extra vertebrae. You know, yeah. it's, it's not <laughs> she, she has no bones inside. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah but... not. And Angre is like the best draftman, draftman ever. Mm -hmm. it's, it is one of the top draftmen. And, mm -hmm. and still, and still. Yeah, that, that, that's that's very funny. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, let, let me let me think. We we've jumped around quite a bit here. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is: Did you hear what was the feedback of your painting? I mean, so so your painting. I, I don't remember of, of the. Uh, of the Annunciation, is that what you said it was? The the one with the moon yeah. in the background? So, I mean, that, that that painting clearly was chosen only because of the moon and not because only of- Only because of the moon, and the moon is so small and mm -hmm. tiny, you can't mm -hmm. believe it. Did, did you get any interesting feedback from that painting being in that show? Um, nothing that I can really remember okay. very- mm. Yeah. Very... So, you know, Apart from what you explore now in your contemporary work, um, you know, was there other themes that you were exploring um, previously? I, I, I'm kind of interested in, in in what you were thinking about after children, between I between children I and started, now. I kind of uh, uh, I think my my involvement um, or my my way mm -hmm. was from exploring things unconsciously and mm -hmm. then realizing that like I would once I called I had the drop dead beauty model I think Titian would kill to have her mm -hmm. uh, red-headed very very pale you know super feminine body not mm -hmm. amazingly beautiful and she was, and I told her, let's try this classic pose. And although she was very beautiful, something in it was a bit odd. And mm -hmm. I didn't, didn't try. I'm not trying to do grotesque. I don't mm -hmm. like grotesque. I didn't try to do anything. And then I asked myself and I asked her because I, I become, I work quite slowly and I work with models. So we become really intimate. Mm -hmm. It's long hours and we speak. I speak while I paint. I can speak, not all the time I speak, but we do speak. Mm -hmm. And I was asking her what happened. And I was asking myself, why isn't this drop-dead beauty doesn't look attractive? I think this was a breaking point for me when I realized that her, and, and the body was perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a really perfect body. And... I think something around her face was too strong. Hmm. It wasn't tempting. And we're really used to the softness of the women's face. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not that I decided not to do it. It happened to me. It's something about me not doing it. And I think once I realized I'm doing it, I started understanding my work, but it's not that... It was a turning point because this was the point I realized I'm doing it and not, I, I started being conscious. Mm -hmm. But yes, 
Actually, I was always doing it. It's not, it, it, I was doing it much before this, this point. And then I was doing this uh, um, zero point of gender portrait, which my starting point was also, it's not political. It was really curiosity of me. Try, after doing, you know, so many portraits, trying to, to understand this, when is the portrait becoming a woman? When is it becoming a man? And if you don't add anything very, you know, like boobs or bird or whatever, mm -hmm. what, what is the difference? What mm -hmm. is the difference? I really tried to, to keep uh, to, to keep in the middle, to, to stay in the middle. And it started as, as something really innocent. And then it became a political thing. You know mm -hmm. it because be, mainly because of the audience because I, I was working. I'm not. I'm not a great intellectual, so I, I. I don't really. I'm not driven by intellectual stuff. I, I mainly. Mm -hmm. I first I have an image, then I understand what I did. Mm -hmm. If 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 I did anything, if it's not sometimes I just do a portrait of a very beautiful guy or a very beautiful girl. Mm -hmm. It's not always having anything. Mm. That that that's that is very interesting. It's funny that that you, that you kind of mentioned the politics of it because that that does um kind of uh it, it's it's I mean it I'm not sure exactly how to even grapple with the idea. I feel like the politics in a way sucks the room out of the air of this entire um ex exploration. Um, you know, be, just because um. I'm not sure how you describe it either androgynousness or something like this, you know, if there's a caricature of the human being, I mean, I guess it's almost similar when they, they, they say, you know, that uh, maybe I'm not entirely, they, they sometimes say that, you know, God doesn't have gender and yet, you know, that, that human beings are a type of, uh, are similar to, to God, that God makes them in their image, you know? And so you imagine maybe that, you know, the human caricature should be androgynous and, and doesn't have exact male or female uh, qualities. Um, and it's, and it's an interesting idea to try to understand people as this uh, superimposed uh character of simultaneous you know it, it, it's a uh, simultaneously male and female uh means you know almost to say that neither male or female but again this kind of like you said this zero point character um and it's a fascinating idea and it might be a really uh, useful idea and i suppose that the the political um, movements or agents that discuss it now are maybe trying to grapple with that idea, but it, it also seems a bit more, um, a bit more, I'm not sure we write the word, but a bit more rambunctious or a bit more loaded to, to kind of fiddle with it in a way now. But just because, like you said, I think a, a political audience will take it and run with it and either celebrate it or criticize it tremendously. I think, I think at least in this area, my exhibition at the Arcelia Museum was just before COVID, so it's like four years ago, something mm -hmm. like that. And I remember people looking at the portrait and everybody decided, like this was a surprise for me because like there was a portrait and there was a, a person coming and saying, well, definitely a male. And mm -hmm. another person would come and look at the same portrait and he would say, well, definitely a female. Mm -hmm. And people couldn't stay in the middle. They mm -hmm. had to decide. 
Mm-hmm. And once they decided it was obvious for them that they are right, it's it's you know it's a female. And now this political movement, which I'm not a part of it, but I was just in a way looking at it because of what I did, people can look at the portrait and say it's not a boy, not a girl. And of course it's people from Tel Aviv. I don't think you know in small places and uh, wherever people are. But still, last week, I called my model to come and pose for me at the Bezalel Academy, and she was busy, she said, and I said, so give me a phone of a different model. And she said, I don't have anybody, but there is a a variated model, it's called. I I translate it from Hebrew. She's not a male, not a female. She has both organs. She has boobs and the dick. Mm -hmm. And... So I said, okay, I don't have a model. Uh, this was not my first intention, but let her come. Mm. And she came, this lady with the dick, mm-hmm. and she was posing. And the students were completely, they didn't mind. It, they weren't really curious. They were mm. measuring as if it's, you know, the most common thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this thing would happen five years ago. It was mm-hmm. a sensation. Yeah. And I think it's a very, very good thing that happened, that that people are so much more tolerant nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's definitely a very interesting thing that you're saying. I, you know, I think in maybe because I'm I'm 32 now, so I'm, I'm not necessarily a spring chicken. So it's kind of funny because I feel like I'm right in this this uh, uncanny valley of. Of 72 youth. is a very spring chicken for me. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I know what you mean, but it, it's interesting only because, let me, I mean, like it's been, you know, it's been, you know, approaching 15 years since I've been out of school in a way. And so I feel, I feel like a young person. And so if I want to make comments on new ways of thinking, I still feel like I can say those things but i have to remember you know actually i'm almost an entire i guess i'm a a generation removed from truly youthful um thoughts or youthful perspectives but no no what you're saying is is interesting and and and, and, you know you use the word uh, tolerance which i think is a, a a correct word and simultaneously i think there may be a type of training to um to, to type of uh to, to not express to to expressively ignore in a way and and what I mean by that is I I would assume that people even those students must find that radically fascinating you know they must that I mean because even though it's in 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 culture or or the way we talk or our political ideas that in, in English we say uh transgenderism uh but uh you know it's become radically uh popular I don't I was expecting to be very cool to bring to the, be the first person mm-hmm. bringing them. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm telling you, they weren't at all. There were two girls that didn't want to pay because they are embarrassed with men. Mm-hmm. And this was the part of the model that was a man that was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a male figure. They would go out. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's it. And, and maybe it's in Israel. Maybe it's in mm-hmm. Israel. But uh... yeah, yeah. I, I again, I hear you. Just I mean, again, to, to to simply finish my perception of it, and I could be completely off. Is um, 
And again, maybe maybe the word tolerance is, is exactly the right word, but uh, you know, maybe internally these folks were very fascinated, and maybe no, no, they I wish they looking, could. I was looking. Yeah. At them. And I was looking. And you're saying no, they were, they were just completely desensitized to to the novelty. You know, they were measuring mm -hmm. like they always do when you paint the model. Mm -hmm. No, it's a drawing class. So they had these measuring tools, and then they were measuring the light, and mm -hmm. then it was like. I, I could sense, I'm teaching for yeah. many, so yeah, yeah, many yeah. years, I could sense it, and what, this was what I was expecting, but it didn't happen. It was Interesting. Just, that That's yeah. very fascinating. Yeah, because I mean, like, again, like, I'm trying to think, I mean, yeah, I, I would just imagine that if I were in that circumstance, I would be... I would probably have a similar reaction to where externally I wouldn't want to try to make a big deal or give any sort of special attention. But I feel like internally I would find this much more fascinating and um, I, I, more more provocative than uh -huh. a, a, a common male or a common female. I would just be like, this is so novel, you know, and, I, you know, something would be my attention would be running wild or something. You know? This was my expectation, but I was surprised. I was really surprised. They're really young kids and mm -hmm. they think they up in a different situation yeah very interesting yeah so i mean i, I suppose in that regard those folks might particularly in israel consider you a great pioneer of some of these themes that they might be much more uh prone to uh explore and fiddle with in their own i think my pioneering is even the fact that they paint in israel yeah just painting the figure not necessarily in a political way. You know, I used to paint like in the 80s and in the 90s, and I think even a decade after that, painting, I think worldwide, but specifically in Israel, was like being, uh, you know, the village idiot. Hmm. <laughs> it, it was nobody. People were looking at me and... and I, I used to paint landscape as well. I was living in a very, very small place up, up in the Galilee mountain, very like on the top of a mountain. So I used to paint landscape. And and I think I chose to go there because there was like nobody took interest in, in real painting. People were very conceptual. It's mm. only now, like in the last, 10 or 15 years that it's coming back. And I think this was the, the you know, the very that, provocative thing. Just just painting. Figuratively. Figuratively. That's, that's very interesting. Um th th this is this is almost unrelated, but as I scroll through your Instagram, there's uh one painting that I won't be able to translate because it seems to be written in Hebrew, the title, but it's of um seemingly a midwife or an angel holding uh, a woman's pregnant stomach, this image. Yeah, that's yes. one of the nativities. Yes. So one, one thing that's fascinating about this is that both of the women are wearing socks, like oh, yes. white socks. Now, are, can, can you can you just explain a little bit about their the presence of the socks? The history of the socks in my paintings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that go? Uh, yes. It started, I have several paintings with socks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's my studio is in a, is at home and mm -hmm. my ceiling is very high. It's, it's a very old building. And it is very hard to hit it in the winter. 
Mm-hmm. So I was working with the models and it was super cold. The floor was super cold. Mm-hmm. So they asked whether they can wear socks. Mm-hmm. And I said, of course, you're freezing. Mm-hmm. And so that this was the way it started. And I and then I not in this painting, in a different painting. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that having socks also it kind of corresponds with Baltus and the socks. And the, the I'm not the first one painting women naked with socks, but mm-hmm. Uh, but in a way, it gives the the objectification of the feminine body a different angle. Ang- angle. Uh, because you look at a naked woman, she's going out of the, wherever, of the bathroom naked, mm-hmm. then she's an object. But mm-hmm. once she has a bra and socks, and, and not, you know, not sexy socks and not sexy bra, just She's her own, her body is staying her own because it gives kind of protection from the male gaze. And mm. I think this is what I like about it. It is like, you know, it, it's very common, it's very daily, and it leaves the feminine body in, in, in a different uh, area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, again, like like I've kind of the way you paint in general is again this kind of uh, struggle to to tear away glamour and to make things more again honest. And uh, I, I definitely noticed it as soon as I saw the socks because I think, like you said too, and I think particularly, I mean, I guess it's it's both bodies, but to, to see a perfectly nude female body. It, it does strip away the personness or the identity, and it kind of becomes a symbol at that point. And as soon as you add the socks, it kind of breaks the illusion. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. "Oh, this is." Also, a person. my mom met my dad, and she it, recognized these the white socks. That, that's what I. That's what I kind of thought yeah. maybe you were going to say because you <laughs> earlier mentioned the white socks uh, from the kibbutz, and so I thought perhaps it was a nod, uh, a nod Never to that. Never thought about it before, but now we've, we we're on it. <laughs> um. That's very fascinating. Uh, what what are you are you are you working on anything in particular right now? Are you working on a body? Well, well, now you're asking. Uh, I started a series of paintings. The first of the series, I, I I just prepared a very very large for me large like two meters on one eighty. Mm-hmm. That's the largest that goes into my studio door. And I I prepared it before the October War, just mm-hmm. before, and I I start with sketching very very uh, ugly sketches that only I understand of, mm-hmm. of a new series. So I make a book, and then I know my ideas only like I would never show it. It's not. It is so very. I don't even try to make it beautiful. I just try to clear my mind and understand mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. And it is kind of like my previous exhibition was about, the, the one that is now currently at the museum is about uh, the feminine body, cellulite, uh, mm-hmm. the dark side of, of the body in a way, like the, the, the side that putting into light the side that we do not like. Now, in a way, one this painting is a continuation of this exhibition, but it was supposed to deal with the uh, things that women are holding in the body, not as a story. I don't do stories. Uh, generally, don't do stories. Uh, like the fear that we hold in the body. And I was trying my paintings 
in my paintings, the mainly life size. And I, I, I feel, I try to, maybe, maybe I don't, I'm not right, but that you would feel it when you watch it from body to body, not from the head, not through the head. I want the body to feel the other body. And as a female growing up in Israel, but I think in many places, when I go, or when I, I was younger, so it was even more difficult, I go to the, let's say, nature. I'm not afraid of wolves. I'm not afraid of uh, of robbers or robbers or, or thieves. So I'm afraid of male, uh, you know, uh, of uh, of somebody coming and attacking me. Or and even growing up as a kid in Tel Aviv, it was always, it is always in the back of my mind. Like when my kid, my girl, my daughter doesn't come back or she comes back late, I'm always afraid of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So and I think it's very inherent in the body. Like it's it's so I started these few years by copying, really copying a Lucretia by Veronese. You know the painting? I don't think so. Or at least I don't recognize the tomato. It's to an me. amazing green painting, amazingly green. Uh, in it's in the um, Kunsthistorisches Museum in Vienna. Okay. Lucretia was raped. Mm. And she couldn't send it. There's a long story, and the painting is about her holding a knife, golden knife, mm. stabbing herself. She 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 committed suicide after being raped. That's mm-hmm. the that's the story. So I, I wanted to go into the mood, and the series is not about rape. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't supposed to be about rape. It was about the the the, the gray borders of being holding fear in the woman, even in the feminine body. Interesting. So I started, I I really copied it, which was super interesting, just copying the drapery of Veronese. Veronese is like, he is very, very exciting drapery. Amazing, and these golds. And I really, I think it's tragic that Titian was around because he's such a marvelous painter, but Titian is better. So, Mm -hmm. and they were just in, in the same era. And then I started, after the war, I started working, but my sketch was really finished after, before I started. And this series of paintings is, I'm taking, do do you know the Fragonard Swing? You probably know, even if you don't know the name. Mm -hmm. It's it's a 18th century painting, I think. A pink lady, almost only a dress, a swinging, in a blue kind oh, of Oh, yes, 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 yes. Very famous. It's in all the, you know, pillows, bags. Yeah, is that... Is that all the gadgets. Yeah. Is that a Boucher? Who paints this? A Fragonard. 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 Okay. Uh, very similar to Boucher, anyway. Very iconic painting. And I wanted to take the swing mm-hmm. and put on the swing different kind of body, women with a presence, because... At Fragonas, there's almost no face. It is so sweet. It is mm-hmm. so. It's it's a fantastic painting, but there's hardly any flesh in it. There's no body. There's no expression on the woman's face. She's an object. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing this painting. It's two figures. One of them is on the swing, and I don't know if it was a. 
I didn't think it's about the war because it was pre-planned. It was about the fear in the woman body. But since Israel was traumatized by the the rape and the, so people look at it and most of them ask, is it about the war? And it wasn't planned to be, but in a way, and, and I hate things being so um, one dimensional. That's why I didn't want, I wanted to, to be open, but I'm afraid this painting happened to be uh, maybe about the war without me having any intention to do it. Mm -hmm. So, but it's a beginning. It's a beginning of a new series called The Swing. Mm. That, 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 that's very interesting. Um, again, just like you said, particularly because uh, of the current context of uh, Israeli life. But I suppose that's, you know, it, it's funny that you said, you know, the painting is in a way prophetic, but I mean, this is uh, maybe the hallmark of a very good idea that, that you know, it's... it's um, no, it's... I don't think so. I think like in my exhibition now, mm -hmm. there were four four, I think, pastels of sleeping beautiful girls, kids. Mm -hmm. They were grandkids of a friend of my mom, really beautiful girls. I called them, I painted them, very sketchy pastels, very, very sweet. And when we were hanging the exhibition, the curator wanted them, and I said, they are too sweet for the exhibition. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to hang them, but then she was stronger than me, mm -hmm. so we did hang them. And then the war came, and the museum was closed for, let's say, two months. And then I came in. And you know, it's girls like 11 years old, maybe 9, 11, something like that, half, half asleep. And I looked at the paintings. And the sweetest paintings in the exhibition became almost impossible to look at. Because the mind, and at, at first I thought it's my mind. And then I realized everybody sees it. Mm -hmm. So. I don't know if it's my painting or if it's or it's the head of, 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 of the audience that makes mm -hmm. because my girls were supposed to be sweet girls. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything other in my mind. Mm -hmm. Sweet, beautiful girls. And now it's a completely different subject. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would ever change. Like if you're an Israeli, you look at it immediately, you think about you know horrible stuff. Yes, yes. So maybe my new painting is the same. I don't know, but it wasn't my intention. Yes, understood. Um, just uh, that, that, that's a very fascinating. Uh, I mean, I, I find this particularly very, very fascinating. I feel as though maybe it would be inappropriate for me to, I don't want to ask you any more questions about this particular subject. I only worry that it's too uh too emotional or inappropriate so i don't want to do that but i would like to take just one step back and ask you if you could talk any more about your own experience or maybe the experience that you think is very common amongst women about the kind of tension and in, in maybe paranoia of female existence in, in 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 respect to the male attention i think we swallowed the we swallowed the main gaze we swallowed, it's in the body, like the thing first, the vocabulary I was speaking about before, mm -hmm. it's definitely, you know, you see a kid age seven, she's already sitting in a way 
as mm. if she's trying to be a lady or trying mm-hmm. to be something. So and definitely not when she's you know going out uh, carrying things. But in, in a specific situations, we become. We want to get married since we are seven until we're 87. It's, mm-hmm. it's always there. So, and, 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 and it's the same. I don't know about little girls. Mm-hmm. I don't know how do they feel, but I know from a certain age, quite young, you become, because your parents warn you or you have your own experience or you know, Many women also had uh, sexual harassment this way or another, and I, I, I'm not talking about the the very severe situation of being raped. Mm-hmm. But the, all these small situations, they also create this kind of uh, of uh, of us being. Uh, we feel it in the body. I feel mm-hmm. it in the body. So, and I I don't. I told you, I'm not an intellectual that's, and I don't want to go. I, I I have images in my head and then I do it and, and then I, I give other people to, to do it with it. This is the topic of my exhibition, but I don't really read about it. I, I, I only work from my very, very specific and very narrow point of view, mm-hmm. which is images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's that's very interesting. Um, and, and I think everybody knows, you know, what what you're talking about. Obviously, it's very interesting. I, I can't recall if I've ever uh, explored any sort of visual art that really kind of delves into that. I, I'm, I'm, it, it, oh, it, oh, it must no. exist, right? Of course. Yeah. Like in, the, in the history of art, mm. like the painting I painted of Lucretia. Okay. The, 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 even the Christian mythology is, is there are plenty of stories about it, like, uh, um, uh, oof, uh, but Bathsheba, the, the, oh, Bathsheba, yes. We're dealing with it, but most of the paintings have a story. Mm-hmm. you see Lucretia, you see she's committing suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see uh, Susanna and the elders. There is the story of Susanna uh, and the elders looking at her. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but it's a story about sexual harassment, mm-hmm. which she didn't kill herself, which mm-hmm. she won. And you have, um, what's her name? The most, uh, the Female painter, very famous uh, Italian. Oh, I, I have a blackout. Doesn't yeah. uh, No, no. Uh, everybody knows the name. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So it is dealt with. But what I'm trying to do is to deal with it without a story, only from the perception of the what the female body feels. And and I don't know if if it would work. Mm. It's an experiment. I, I have no idea if it would work. Mm. Yes, very, very interesting. I need to. I, I, it's it's funny to, talking to you. Uh, I, I've spoken to a few people who are very well educated in art history, but you seem to have uh, a great recollection 
Uh, and it, it, and talking to you makes me feel like I should pick up a few more coffee table books and flip through them so I can better <laughs> recall artist names and artist images and themes and all that sort of stuff. Altemisia Gentileschi, Altemisia Gentileschi. Now it came back. Is, is she, did, she, did she paint the famous beheading? Yes, and she was raped by a, a, a friend of her dad. Oh. And she sued him then. She sued him and he, she won... Mm. And she painted this kind of uh, experience. Mm. So it, it, I'm definitely many people uh, did it before me. But what mm. I'm trying to do is is a little bit lighter, a little mm. bit, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, very fascinating. Um, well, I've taken up quite a bit of your time this evening. I know it's it's later there than it is here. Um, and, and I know you're working on uh, getting this body of work out the swing. Is there anything else um, artistically or not artistically uh, that you're trying to focus on uh, this, the rest of this year? Uh, not that I know of. Not that I know of. No, uh, this is what I'm doing now. I generally work at one theme at a time. Mm. Uh, mm. Many times I don't, like I do, like... I do this, but then I meet at the street a model that I like, a girl that I like to work with. Mm -hmm. I call her, I just do a portrait of her, mm -hmm. you know, not connected to anything. So I all the time I work on, on my series now, and then I do stuff uh, that is not connected. Uh, that, that 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 spurs an additional question for me. So, I mean, you, you say that you kind of, you discover some of your models just walking down the street? Yes, because it's very hard for me to find a model uh, because I work mainly with faces, not just with bodies. When I do portraits, I have my 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 model that I work with for let's say three and a half years now. Her name is Anna, and we work together. That that's my main model. But then sometimes I want to refresh or I want a different one, and these I meet at the cafe. Uh, it's a bit embarrassing starting to, you know, this crazy old lady speaking to somebody in the street asking. But uh, but it, most of the times people are, are very happy to be painted. I pay, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. And like my recent model that I met, I just was sitting in a cafe here in Jaffa and there came a girl with like a such a light complexion her skin was like milk hmm. and she had curls huge amount of red curls mm -hmm. something incredible so i looked at her and then i started asking her whether she would model for me and she was very happy about it so and 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 these models that i pick up in the streets i don't ask them to to pose naked mm -hmm. It's just for faces because that's too embarrassing. Even if they yeah. offer to to take the clothes off, I said no. I say mm -hmm. no because you know they're not professional models. I don't know. Maybe some someday I would, but mm. as for now, I don't ask them to take the clothes off. Yeah. I, I also, the interest is with the face generally. So. Mm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. It's I mean, it's I mean, I I I I uh, 
I, I almost hesitate to, to make the joke, but it, it's interesting that you were talking about uh, the male gaze, but it's fascinating that, that you yourself, in a way, <laughs> absorb, you know, the, the images of beautiful women and even are spurred to go women, and say hello women. to them. <laughs> I was sitting in a restaurant in Germany and just in front of me was sitting a beautiful, beautiful guy, mm -hmm. amazingly, a, a bit feminine, but you know, this kind of German, really blonde, really blue mm -hmm. eyes and whatever. And it is more embarrassing for me to, to hit with a guy than with a girl. A girl mm -hmm. is, is, but then I thought to myself, well, he would think there's a Jewish crazy lady going in the streets of Berlin, so what? <laughs> so I spoke to him and he was just between jobs. And he used to come to my studio, like we walked for a month and a half every day. Uh, for I, I did several portraits with him. Mm. But you were living and working in Germany uh, for a year, almost a year. Oh, and was that a residency or something spontaneous? Yes, or? it was in the Wissenschaftskolleg. It's it's a very nice residency of academics and artists and musicians. And the, I had the lake in front of my window mm. with swans. It was and and. Forest, I, I love Berlin. Really wow, nice. yeah. yeah, very, very amazing. Um, well, again, I, I think I think I've I've kept you for quite a while. We talked about a lot of fascinating things. I I thank you so very much for your time. Um, I I definitely, if you can, if you can send me uh, maybe a, a link to some of the work of your mother and father, I would love to uh, ah, listen okay, to some no of it. Problem. Yeah, yeah, that would be. I send you the names and you just Google it. And then... Sure. Awesome. Yeah, that would be terrific. Um, again, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you. Uh, I, I hope that maybe after you publish your work, The Swing, I can follow it on Instagram and maybe afterwards I'll touch base with you and maybe we can first have a second I conversation. It. First, let's see that I, I finish <laughs> this huge Yes, thing. yes. Yes. Again, thank you so much uh, for thank your time. You, have a good evening. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye.